Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. For this episode, we're taking a deep dive into health and nutrition with a medical doctor who's focused on getting you off your medications and getting you into a life with a good metabolic profile. Dr. Eli Jerouge is a Houston physician who has an online practice, and you'll get to meet him right after this. It's October, which is a very busy time for the farmers. Why? It's harvest. That's when the crops are gathered. Our friends at Ralston Family Farms, they love the harvest. They love it, of course, to see the bounty of their labors, but it's also an important time for family there. It's when they gather, not just in the fields, but together as a big family. The Ralstons are 10 generations of farmers, and their family today includes Robin and Tim, their three children, and their grandchildren, and many of them are always either working at the farm or the mill. Guys, the mill is a very impressive facility. As I did some social media there last month, you can find it on their social media channels. I was cooking rice with my meat-based meal. When I was there, I was so impressed with what family means to them. It's everything. They love to celebrate, and they do when you buy a carton of their outstanding rice, or even the rice grits. Go online to find out more and to see if your grocery store is there and find one that is, or you can order it, RalstonFamilyFarms.com. I sometimes think I have a podcast just so I can brag about Arkansas businesses. Here's one that you'll love if you are anywhere in the 501 or even some of the other area codes. It's David's Burgers. Yeah, David's Burgers is an Arkansas institution selling delicious ground beef patties. And you can have fries with that. They even have a chicken sandwich at the David's Burgers. But now you can get chicken at their sister restaurant, which is Jess's Chicken. Yeah, the same family. The Bubba's family has them all. And the Bubba's family knows burgers because it started back in Russellville. You might know that story. But just 10 years here in central Arkansas, you know, you'll have the friendliest people, you'll have the best service, and you'll have the best meal. My husband always says he prefers David's Burgers over any bougie restaurant on, you know, the the top of the fancy buildings in a fancy city. He always says, I just rather a burger from (laughs) David's Burgers. And that's what we do. We eat a meat-based diet so we can go there. I can get the double patty and cheese. I can't eat it all, but I always think that's what I'm going to eat all that. And you can even get mushrooms and cheese and you can get onions and you can get whatever you want. And we all know about the French fries that come to your table. And they even give you a little treat at the end, a little ice cream. If you want a good place for your family and you know you're supporting an Arkansas business, it's David's Burgers and all their locations. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Oh, and I love to talk about all the things health. And I've got someone here who's an expert in metabolism and health because I think you have your own testimony. Did you lose weight through, I mean, did you make this discovery because of your own personal weight loss? Oh, absolutely. I think most clinicians who are in this field and they're very passionate about it, they do it because they've gone through a personal experience. Uh, I mean, I'm traditionally a trained doctor. I never really thought about nutrition beyond the whatever we're told. Oh. But at one point in my training, I had gained 
over the years, 35 plus pounds, uh, had developed high blood pressure, I had chronic back pain, muscle spasms, back spasms, give out my back all the time, and even became significantly insulin resistant. I thought I was headed towards uh, diabetes if I continued like that. Uh, sluggish, weak, like I, I just thought it was uh, work and being in training. But then I decided to dive into my health and try to lose weight initially in a superficial way. Maybe that would help my back, but that ended up in a four or five year journey of really changing my mindset about a lot of stuff, uh, you know, from nutrition. So when I started changing my diet, eliminating junk food, carbohydrates, sugar, my energy picked up, my weight started falling off, my back pain disappeared. So a lot of my blood pressure went away. So and this became kind of that journey that took me from traditional to believing nutrition as really this should be the cornerstone of the treatment. Well, when you run for president, I'm voting for you because that's what <laughs> I want. That's what I want the platform to be in 2024 uh, is somebody who will present to us the fact that calories in, calories out is a uh, is fallible. I mean, there's I know laws of thermodynamics, so I'm not going to. Yes, get into that yes. but in the big picture it's our nutrition is kind of going back to basics so what were some of the first what was the first thing you did to mitigate your health because it's a health situation not just weight right, it's a health right, situation right. well right now i have the benefit of hindsight but at the time right. i was just hopping on whatever was popular and that uh 2014 2015 uh there was a whole 30 program was yeah. still yeah. very popular mm-hmm. So uh, I read the book with Melissa Hartwig, and, uh, mm-hmm. and and then that made a lot of sense to me. I was like, I should have known this, uh, but really it didn't translate clinically. That we never practiced like that. So I figured, let me just clean up my diet, do that thirty thing, thirty day uh, trial, and in thirty days it was like night and day. I went through withdrawal. I was like, what is this? I like, I feel hungry. I'm craving things. I got headaches. But after a week or two. Uh, getting used to it, I felt like high energy. Of my, I lost 15 pounds in the first month. Wow. Just like off the bat. And yeah. I didn't know uh, how, how slowly I gained the weight. It was two to three pounds a year over 10 years, and I, it, it adds up. So when I lost 15 pounds quickly and my pants were falling off, um, okay, let's see. So I did it another month, and then I lost another 10 pounds. So it was like 25 pounds in like in two months. Um, so that was a major uh, wake-up call. Uh, re- basically eating real food, removing... I was still eating a bunch like, of carbohydrates. Who knew that real right. foods could feed us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, but hold on. I'm, I'm eating like meat and butter and, you know... I was dairy-free at that time because Whole30 is more paleo. So I just kind of stayed off dairy. But I didn't... I mean, right now it's kind of... An, uh, I, I eat it. But at the time, just eliminating all that stuff. But I was still eating sweet potatoes. Potatoes, uh, vegetables, meat, and stuff like that. So inflammation just went away from my body. Sim- like, like I knew it, I felt it. Like my back wasn't tight. I wasn't. I wasn't hurting. And that's how it started, really. So the whole the great thing about Whole Thirty is um, for those of us health coaches, and we always tell people to love the foods that love you back. It it starts you on that journey because you start realizing that though wheat is a wonderful product it's really inflammatory and so there yeah there's no wheat i would say the first thing that is removed from that is processed foods and then wheat products so you think of bread pasta and some other things 
Have you been yeah. able to reintroduce that into your diet or do you just stay hands off? I'm not like a, I'm 80, 90%, uh, you know, whole nutrition, animal base of grain free, yeah. all that stuff. But I mean, occasionally I, you know, there's a good sourdough, there's some rice when I eat right. sushi, you know, I'm not like, I'm going to, I don't have that dogmatic approach to my own health, but during the process of losing weight, getting healthier, I was more strict. I liked the structure of Whole30. The psychology of food was the biggest part of that program where not, I always look for dessert. And then you can easily find dessert that is keto, that is paleo. And that mindset, I had to divorce myself. And then I learned a lot about food labels and reading and realize how much sugar is in everything. But eventually, I, did, I mean, I did the whole 30 paleo, keto, carnivore, and I kind of now I eat some fruit and things like that. So I eat grains, but when I do, I never feel great. And I, so I pick uh, uh, sourdough bread if I do eat it and I eat it rarely. If it's something like I know it's really good, I may make an effort, but I really limit myself because I'm very conscious of what I'm eating. Uh, but generally, I avoid that stuff right now. Do you feel like, uh, are you Lebanese? Are you, you're yeah, I am. Lebanon. So I yeah. love Middle Eastern foods are some of my favorites. Yes. So then do you stay away from bulgur wheat and baklava? Because that's the food of your ancestors. Right. So bulgur wheat, I mean, it's such a small amount. When they make this uh, raw meat, minced meat or cooked or whatever, yep. it's really just uh, like a shot of, uh, you know, alcohol, of bulgur wheat. So. Yep. I don't, I try not to, if I can avoid it, I will, but if it's there and I didn't notice it's making a big uh, impact on me, but pita bread, uh, these sweets, I really stay away from them as much as possible. Um, if I do, I make it very limited. I was never a big fan of baklava, luckily, but uh, there's a lot of dairy-based desserts, like sweet stuff. Well, I'm hanging uh, up now if you didn't like baklava. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, I always thought it was way too sweet with a cigar syrup. It on is. It. Mm. I would have, I guess I was lucky I could moderate. I can eat one piece or half a piece and be done. Uh, I guess that's know, an option. Have, <laughs> right, that is an option. But like, yeah. I know my family, my brother, he can polish off the whole yeah. tray yeah. If, right. he, if he doesn't stop himself. So. Well, then let's talk about the metamorphosis then of the food culture, because in Lebanon a hundred years ago, the wheat wasn't genetically modified and it, it probably didn't make people ill. And now, cause they'll say even in India, there's still parts of India where non-bread is served and it doesn't bother yeah. the right. natives because they're not using American glyphosate, glyphosate wheat, <laughs> you know? So don't you think then that our industrial revolution and our modern society has kind of damaged some of the things that used to be so pure and so good for us? Uh, absolutely. I mean, and this is when we started declining from the Industrial Revolution. And the, the more they refine and try to uh, increase production and modify genetics and things like that, it became uh, a foreign substance. It's right. not even food anymore. Uh, I mean, I have people eat gluten right now. They, they can blow up 10 pounds in a week. They didn't gain fat in 10 pounds. They just get so inflamed and swollen, especially after they cleaned up. Yeah, uh, and I, that happens to me too. If I went on a trip and I indulge a little bit more, but more so in the U.S. when I eat when I'm overseas, it seems to be a little bit less inflammatory than here. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's many reasons, uh, but even like in Lebanon, pita bread became a little bit more inflammatory. But there's more traditional bread that is thin. The wheat is not as right. uh, you know that bread. I eat it. I don't really feel bad. I don't eat it a lot, but uh, you know. 
So there's this kind of a mixed bag. But obesity and diabetes is just uh, as, as bad over there. It's getting worse. And uh, Is there a know. DNA link? There used to be a study that said Asians and um, Hispanics had higher rates of type 2 diabetes, even more than Westerners or Americans. Is that still yes. a statistic that's true today? Uh, I haven't caught up on the statistics, but I know they have a higher risk. Uh, genetically, they're more predisposed. And I think because uh, historically or ancestrally, they were did not have that much exposure to this type of food. Oh. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, sense. Native American specifically, they basically lived on meat and I don't know if they... Tuber, but it was really until they got exposed to the Western diet that they start getting, uh, they're getting destroyed health-wise, and it's really sad to see that. Middle East has a huge increase of uh, diabetes, and uh, a lot of them don't become obese like we see in the U.S. They have this this little bit of belly. Uh, some of them become obese, but generally you don't see obesity as extreme as the U.S., but that means they can't get, again, a lot of fat. They become diabetic sooner. Uh, that that makes it even more dangerous. Because so. we're talking not about what the number is on the scale, but your metabolic health. And we know 88% uh, of us yeah, are not metabolically fit. So a lot of people will say, oh, my doctor didn't say anything because my BMA is, my BMI is this. Or, But it, it's a much bigger picture than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are some of the, so this is, I, I'm a certified health coach and um, a lover of all things intermittent fasting. So that's kind of my perspective on this, but lab tests. So you come through the internal medicine, diagnostician and nephrology, right? right? So boy, that's, you know, that's what's so amazing. Dr. Fung, you know, his whole approach mm -hmm. to, um, intermittent fasting was based from a nephrologist point of view of end stage renal disease. And these people are coming in going, well, I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything I'm told and, you know, and nothing yeah, is changing. Yeah. But from your perspective then, because I think there is an importance with some lab values, because I think fasting yeah. insulin is a miraculous view into your metabolic Absolutely. health. But what are some other things in there? A, there's C-reactive protein, but then there's C-peptide. Right? Are those those are two different things, right? So C-peptide is so insulin. When your body makes insulin, uh, it, it makes it a, pre a precursor that has a C-peptide and it gets clipped off. Uh, and then, uh, so fasting insulin and C-peptide for most people, you can use either or as long as oh. you understand the unit. Okay. You're probably good, but C-peptide becomes more uh, important to measure if somebody is already on insulin or uh, a type one diabetic to see if they're actually making any insulin native insulin then c-peptide because it's not in the insulin injection you can you can pick that up uh dr Camberry likes c-peptide right. a lot mm -hmm. uh, i mean i have no problem against it i just find it a little more expensive than fasting insulin and i, and I use fasting insulin more often uh than c-peptide do you so because you're the clinician and can order it um, I have a lot of clients who get pushback from their provider who'll say, we're checking your glucose and A1C. And I go, no, I need your fasting insulin. But they, it, it's sometimes a battle. Is that an insurance paradigm or is it just the providers uneducated? I think provider not understanding the, what, what that means, what to do with the number. And there's no pill for high insulin. Uh, you know, and yeah. I, the way I describe it to people, it's like tip of the iceberg. When you have diabetes, you're seeing the, the top and then you're already, it's a big problem. When A1C falls into normal, 
you're at the, at the water level. You don't know how big the problem is be, beneath it. So insulin is what kind of shows you, gives you a view under the, <laughs> under the water. Uh, clinically, I never ordered it. I, it was rarely ordered except by some uh, endocrinologists in the rare cases of trying to discover a problem. Uh, so they, they haven't uh, really ordered it before. But right now I depend on it. Uh, honestly, it's kind of predictable who's going to have it. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been majorly surprised in, in general. Um, and then the other things, uh, what I've noticed over the years, and we underreported or we ignore it, is like fatty liver, visceral fat, things like that. That's a huge number. You get a lot of people scanned in the hospital for different reasons. And the impression may say normal scan, but when you look at the details, uh, fatty liver, infiltrated, uh, increased visceral fat, it just becomes so common that it becomes almost normal to expect that and nobody mentions anything but that's the biggest opportunity to really make a difference before it becomes diabetes and uh, uh, all that stuff so Uh, insulin is one well insulin after i read dr bickman's book why we get sick yeah totally changed my perspective now i it's like i now get it i just get it um so dr hyman says he likes a fasting insulin of five or six what's your sweet spot uh, in an ideal world, I like it less than four. Less than four. Uh, yeah. Mine is two to three. Um, I've seen mine, people. Mine was mine was one point one last month. Oh, you busy. Good, good I job. Will, <laughs> I will say that I was during. I was doing a five day fast, and yeah, oh, okay. I was in the so middle of really it. But drove I'm, it down. I'm, I'm typically at about two, two point two. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the less, the lower, the better. The yeah. the the bad part about fasting insulin for uneducated clinicians is the normal range can be as high under ninety. I've seen nineteen point six or some random number that you're still under normal, uh, which reminds me of the point. These are average of the population. It tells you how bad the population uh, health is. Same thing with liver numbers, like these AST ALT yeah. liver numbers. Mm-hmm. That average has shifted up over the years again because they take an average of the population so it's a moving target it's a moving target so you have to really understand what it really should be and not fall under the bell curve you know so now the outliers to the left is really the healthy ones and you know the, the more towards the center you are more unhealthy like the 88 percent of the people you know uh, well so yeah. you said yours is read two or three your fasting insulin Right. Yeah. I've checked it twice. I haven't checked it since, but the, the two times I checked it, it was two to three. Because mine flagged it. My, mine said it was low of the yeah. fasting insulin, like that was a problem because <laughs> it was under, maybe mine said 2.3 was cut off. Mine was 2.2 the first but, time I checked it. So don't Google what happens with low fasting insulin because then I was... Then you'll be diagnosed as type 1 diabetic. <laughs> yes, type 1 diabetic and dementia, yeah. it said. And I, what I did was I reached out to Dr. Bickman on Instagram and said, look, you keep telling us low fasting insulin. Mine got flagged. It's under 2.3. Does that worry you? And he said, no, it brings me joy. <laughs> he, yeah, said, right. he said, that's you're, the context you're protected. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a right. Seven year, an eight-year-old who's having high sugar and insulin of less than two, they don't make insulin. That's a different, completely different uh, scenario than, uh, you know, uh, you having a two yeah. because you're eating a certain way yeah have you ever done uh, do you do intermittent fasting oh yeah i mean yeah, I, I, I do it just because now it's naturally before right. it was initially on purpose but now 
I mean, I don't eat, I, ne- I almost never eat under 16 hours, uh, often 18, 20, sometimes one meal a day. But that's just kind of my intuitive eating eater right now. But generally, that's how it happens. Yeah. A lot of, fasting has broken a lot of stalls with, I mean, people are so sick sometimes, even when they're low carb, they're doing everything right. They, they benefit to a certain extent, but everything stops because the metabolism is just such, so broken. And it takes extreme measures of fasting is a bit best tool to, uh, to break through sometimes and fix things. Yeah. Fasting is, is ancestral and magical. I mean, I, I, I don't want to it's overstate it. It's a default it, state. But, it's yeah. a default state. We, yeah. we fast. I don't know how long. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> thousands of years ago. You probably fast a day or two and then you feast. You fast and you That's feast. Right. And, uh, yeah. and, um, and I actually like that way of eating. So when I eat my first meal, usually maybe a small meal, but generally I feast in the evening. I have my big steaks and uh, yeah. uh, whatever I eat, I just eat a bigger portion. Uh, have you done a long fast before? I've done the longest I've done is 72 hours, mainly because I don't need it and I lose weight fast and I don't want to lose too much weight. But I've had patients and clients go through longer fasts when they start four or five days, uh, you know. Yeah, I had and now we feel like it was probably erroneous, but I uh, had a colonoscopy and had what looked like he thought was a precancerous polyp. So you tell a fat intermittent faster. I'm in the middle of a two day fast anyway there for the colonoscopy. Right. So. He said you have a precancerous, it looked like, now he had to send it off the pathology and it wasn't, yeah. but it was, it was a good alarm for me. And it was a good, if I could, cause fasting's a muscle, you know, and I just yeah, kind of yeah, was yeah. working my fasting muscle. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to do a five day fast and see if I can kind of ring out through autophagy and all the other processes our body goes yeah. through. Um, but during that time, because I'm also a long-term thyroid patient, I was just I titrate my own medicine, of course, because I think I'm a doctor. I know I'm not. I do not give medical advice, but for myself. So during that, I was on day four of my long fast, and it wasn't fun. Like, I'm telling you, I was not high-fiving anybody. My glucose reading, in fact, that morning was like 52. I was was just hungry, and I was not hungry. I I felt weak. But what happened, that's when my fasting insulin was 1.1. It was really low, but that was just that week. But also the other thing that happens, and I need you to explain this, um, me's cholesterol went, and is it because the liver's having to push out more cholesterol? It pushes out cholesterol during a fast like that, a longer fast? I mean, there's a lot of debate about this, unless you kind of have a continuous uh, LDL measurement. But uh, I mean, David Feldman has has done a lot of self-experimentation and proved you can affect cholesterol swing by hundreds of points by just fasting and eating carbohydrates and eating a certain way. But I think when you do have long fasts, uh, your triglycerides tends to be low, but uh, your LDL total cholesterol may skyrocket. Uh, and I think that's a lot of it because of these uh, trafficking of these energy molecules. You depend your your energy is coming from fat, and that all these triglycerides and things things like that that were stored, they're just being coming out by the truckload to distribute to the body, uh, and you're capturing that snap uh, snapshot. Right. And you may see a very high cholesterol. Is very debatable. People will call you crazy. People will call you dangerous. People and some people will upload you. So. Uh, for me, it, it never made sense that you could be healthy in every aspect of your life, except one thing is going to kill you. Uh, and if, if my body makes uh, 90% of cholesterol, 
why did evolution or God or whatever you believe in made it happen if it's supposed to kill me? Uh, That's so such a my, good point. That's exact. And for our sex hormones to communicate, we have to have cholesterol. Every cell, a brain cell, every hormone, every, I mean, it's just, uh, I'm thinking of a, just a, a simple common sense guy who's not like, not in a medical way. I'm just thinking common sense because when we get, there's a lot of red herrings out there. I mean, you, you see things. It's like I, it's a good analogy. I don't know who made it. Maybe, maybe uh, Jason Fung. But you have fires. Every time you see a fire, you see fire trucks, and you start blaming the fire trucks for the fire by association, <laughs> right. uh, or umbrellas for the rain because there is yeah. all they always coexist. Uh, and it sounds stupid, but that's actually what we may be doing: more rain, more more uh, more umbrellas, more fires, bigger trucks, so more trucks so we're blaming the wrong thing uh, except maybe it's there to fix things do you look at your own cholesterol and go hmm or do you uh, um, I, yes i have i mean um, to be honest my ldl is very high and the first time i saw it i was like freaked out but then triglycerides is good insulin is too hdl gone up uh you know i've always had historically had low uh hdl in the 30s and it went up to the 40s it's been a few years since i checked but my LDL, uh, again, it's not medical advice, but my LDL is upper 200s. And I, I I'm just, that, that it went there after going low carb. I don't have pain, yeah. I don't have high blood pressure, I don't have insulin, insulin resistance, I feel amazing. Um, I, I just not convinced that this is a bad thing. I could be wrong. But. Well, you're, you're saying, you know, not in a medical, let, let's take the medical paradigm out of it. Let's go to just common sense. <laughs> My common sense tells me that there must be a drug that treats that cholesterol. So, oh, let's really look at cholesterol. Like you said, there's no pill for yeah. fasting insulin. Yeah, There I is mean, a pill I, for your cholesterol. So all of a sudden everybody's. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to be, uh, be a conspiracist, but oh, I mean, there's. Uh, be you one. Can, be you can you can come up with a lot of reasons. So me as a doctor prescribing statin may be the most innocent of the bunch because that's what I was taught. Right. Uh, it's really you have to go up into politics, into mm -hmm. funding of research, into uh, how these companies uh, you know derive profit and what's their, and they may not mean harm, but they mean profit. But that they yeah, as a collateral, they they hurt a lot of people. I mean, these medication make LDL looks pretty good, looks beautiful, right? Uh, bunch of side effects, but who cares, right? Or uh, a lot or of side not, the fact that the fact that uh, taking cholesterol medicine when you have never had a heart attack or primary event is really almost no benefit taking it. It will make the number look pretty, and that uh, metabolic syndrome by definition doesn't even mention LDL. That's more of a triglyceride issue historically before there were statins. We, they look at HDL and triglyceride. These are really the better surrogates of uh, risk. Central obesity around the belly, which is visceral fat, high glucose, high blood pressure, um, you know, low, high triglycerides. These are the things that really make a difference. Was it, I think America turned on uh, cardiovascular, our, our cardiovascular makeup when uh, Dwight Eisenhower had a heart attack. I think that was the beginning of the cholesterol. Well, because he was in the White House, he was yeah. slim, but yeah. you know whatever factors contributed that yeah. nobody knows. Yeah. You know, it was a long time ago. 
But I think that's when we started making, that's when medicine started getting a little more political, I think, and started pushing an agenda. And then everyone said, well, you can't eat shrimp because it's high in cholesterol or you can't eat. I mean, it was just the most arbitrary, it was the dumbest thing. But we've stuck with those dumb things and then policing the way our, what our lab work looks like. Yep, 100%. I mean, at the time, I don't, I can see why this happens. Maybe if I was alive at that point and this happens, I mean, simple surface level logic, okay, uh, fat, eat fat, you get high fat, you eat cholesterol, you get high yeah, cholesterol. Thought, right? So mm-hmm. you, you cut out an, an artery and you see the plaque, it's made of cholesterol. So I can see why that initial, it should just, uh, that should just prevent, provide us with uh, questions to ask and put them to test and hypotheses and do the, but but once you make your own judgment and decide that's what it is, and you start looking for data to support your uh, theory instead of being you know uh, indifferent and find what's the right answer is, then um, you you go down the wrong path. Well, tell me then how is cholesterol formed from the liver? Then am I getting that right? Yeah, I mean, it's made on the liver most of it. The the, the LDL. Yeah. And so we do need it. That that's what I'm saying. It has such bad PR. But we do need it for these things to work. But, okay, so you're saying that the heart surgeon looks at the plaque. And are, do we know for sure the plaque is always caused by cholesterol? Well, there's always cholesterol in the plaque and calcium deposits and inflammatory okay. cells. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but, just, but the cardiologists also know that, that heart disease is more of a chronic inflammatory problem. And Absolutely. they already know that. Yeah. And even they admit that a lot of the benefit of statin is not by lowering the LDL, is because it has an anti-inflammatory property, which it does. Uh, but happened to be a, a small effect. And you know what has an anti-inflammatory property? <laughs> Eating better and removing uh, all these uh, inflammatory foods. But lipids, I mean, you can't live without cholesterol, right? Uh, every cell has it, every membrane has it, every vitamin. But the, the, the argument is too much of, a, of it is what's causing the problem. Now, it could be the case. Uh, I just haven't been convinced. It could be also that the LDL, which was functionally fine, it got damaged by the inflammation and then became more sticky and got into this area and became part of the problem. I can buy that. Uh, but the, then the solution is not to remove the LDL, lower the LDL, because that was never the problem. It's what happened to the LDL. So let's go okay. l- layer deeper. If, if what happened to the LDL is a problem, which is inflammation, how can we cut inflammation and that's usually is the diet that we eat has been the major driver of inflammation um would you measure c-reactive protein then to, to uh, kind of also yeah, see what was yeah. going on yeah i've been surprised how high these crps there's two crps there's a regular crp there's a high sensitivity crp uh either one is fine but high sensitivity it it, it is even more sensitive and it usually correlates with heart disease uh and that's one of the measurements even in conventional medicine that's used I've seen a lot of people with very high above the cutoff, uh, you know, numbers, and they come down with, as they fix their health. Yeah. Well, what number do you like for C-reactive protein then? I like less than one. Less than one. I, I mean, I always strive for less than one for the high sensitivity. Less than one is optimal. One to three, I think, is just you know a little bit of risk. Above three is bad. But I've had people, it says greater than 10. So I don't even know how high it went. And then it comes down. And these are young people who, who their own problem is eating bad. They, they have weight issues, uh, insulin resistance, but joint pains, a lot of things like that. 
they have very high CRPs, yeah. So is yours probably point? Uh, I checked it a few times. It's a 0 0.8. 0 0.8, yeah. Good, yeah. good, good, good. Because yeah. that, uh, I would think, from your perspective, would be more have more weight in this game than, right, again, right. arbitrary cholesterol. But uh, it's going to be hard to convince anyone otherwise. I mean, we're biased. You're biased. I'm biased. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. biased. But uh, my argument, I'd like to believe that I used to be the other way, kind of believed what I was taught and practice it like that. But when it didn't make sense or my patients weren't getting better and I got healthier, then I started questioning that. And I, and I started believing the other model, which, and then when I put it in practice, people are getting healthier. I never take people off medications for 10 years in the hospital. Well, it's, they're very sick there, but even in clinic, uh, when I was in training, you always add medication. But now my passion, all I do is really just uh, get them healthy and take off the medications. Isn't that a great feeling? I mean, that's a That victory. is a great feeling. Yeah. What makes me sad is people think I'm not practicing medicine. Oh, you sure don't want to be in medical? It's like, this is medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if, well, I'm if I'm not sending prescription to the pharmacy, it doesn't mean I'm not a... I'm not clinically, uh, right. I'm not practicing clinical medicine. I'm actually stopping a medication. Hey friends, you know, if you've heard my podcast at all, I talk a lot about health because I'm a certified integrative nutrition health coach and health means a lot to me. And I want your health to mean a lot to you. You know who I use to help me with these things? Because you know, it takes a village. I've got my girls over at Cornerstone Pharmacy and Compounding. Yes, a compounding pharmacy that can help you with bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. They've been in the hormone replacement business more than 20 years. Brittany's there. You'll meet with Allison. What you can do is just go to the website. This is the simplest thing to do. And when you go to the website, guess what? You get a 20% discount when you type in Lisa. Isn't that cute? Uh, on the code, you know, you get the little coupon code there, you'll see, and you'll go to compounding at cornerstone.com. Now the link is in the show notes. So if you're driving, you can't get to it. I got you on this. And what you'll do is order, I think, of course, my attorney wanted me to remind you, this is not medical advice, but I think you should get either the Dutch test. It's a dried urine test or the saliva test. And then when you get your results back, you'll meet with Allison. Brittany Marsh is the owner, but you'll meet with Allison and then they can help you. If you have a provider, great. If you don't, they can, especially in Arkansas, help you with a provider. But anyone listening across the great United States of America, they can help you. Find out more by going to their website, save that 20%, start feeling better today. Thanks to our friends in West Little Rock at compounding at cornerstone.com. Well, let's and let food be thy medicine. Yeah. Um, what what is the uh, diet? Do you practice more of a carnivore diet or ketogenic? I personally eat most more carnivore-ish, but I'm not like a hundred percent. I would say maybe eighty to ninety percent carnivore when I'm eating at home. Uh, but I do like you know sushi. I'll do like uh, rice occasionally. Occasionally, I'm gonna have a piece of bread, but fruit. So I like a little bit of fruit. I've inc incorporated some fruit, a little bit of honey uh, if Raw I want to drizzle yeah. over the cottage cheese. Yeah. yeah. But again, this is not, I don't use that as an excuse to go like overboard uh, with it. So um, um, in your first journey into weight loss, did you incorporate carnivore or were you just then cutting? No, carnivore was the last addition. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so 
whole 30 then i did general actually i stopped and i started having back pain again wow you know, like everybody you stop you don't know it's like oh okay i, I got ba- benefited let me i can eat again what i used to eat and all of a sudden you get a, a you know a flare-up uh then i did just pale you in general and then i did keto uh i did that three months straight and i lost another uh 10 pounds so, uh, so actually another five pounds so by then i was 30 pounds down i thought i didn't have any more weight to lose well then i tried carnivore uh then i lost another 10, five pounds so i became my waist became the smallest i've ever had since i was a teenager wow uh, so I was like okay so uh and that time with the difference between this this is so we, we get the low carb i got that part but then i still believe you know too much energy from different sources can play a role to a certain extent yeah, so sure when i was doing traditional keto to like very high fat moderate protein but i flipped the formula with carnivore much more higher protein and moderate fat i didn't go low fat i don't like to go low fat but uh, uh th- that kind of took me to the next level of getting leaner uh, and, I, you, and i liked it more did you lose inflammation when you went more 80 percent carnivore um i know i felt better i didn't i don't have markers to prove what i feel except you know my back feels loose uh, just yeah, feel no, a little lighter yeah. on my feet you know you're the study of one. I mean, it, that's yeah. where we rely too much on numbers. And sometimes it's, no, I just feel better. But yeah. there's no reward for feeling better to the medical or big pharma. <laughs> <you know? laughs> exactly. And, but I know for my patients and clients, sometimes in the journey, as I take them through the journey, sometimes they get stuck on more traditional keto or some other forms. And I would say, let's try a carnivore for a short period of time just to kind of uh, you know, uh, clear up some of the inflammation, and that works a lot, and they feel amazing. Some of them decide to even stick to it long term, uh, and some of them, some of them find some sort of happy medium. Now, have you done lab work though, since you've been more strict on carnivore? As I have to keto, did I? I don't remember honestly whether it's like when I was keto, when I was carnivore. It's been a couple of years since I. Okay. I don't I don't like to obsess with numbers uh, yeah, in general right. because I've checked them twice and they've been good. So, yeah. but I should actually I've been thinking about repeating stuff just to see where where things are at. Because you know, Doctor Paul Saladino and is Sean Baker the other guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, they both. That's part of their argument is come look at my lab work. You know, yeah. I, I can yeah. show you that eating a carnivore diet. Now, when I first started, and I've only been toying with this for about four to six weeks um the purists eat beef and salt <laughs> like that was one option i went well i'm gonna need a more a little more than beef and salt yeah. Yeah. so have you ever been that strict no i mean i do like beef more but i'm more of a staking uh, eggs type guy yeah, i like right. uh, i like some dairy i do like fish uh, so i'm more of a animal kingdom carnivore yeah <laughs> Uh, but generally lean heavily on steaks because I like them more. Well, since this is my podcast, I can say anything I want about anything, and I really want you to back this up, but I want you to tell me how dangerous vegan and vegetarianism is. Well, you can be, you can be a healthy-ish vegan vegetarian if you do it correctly. But that would require a lot of effort, a lot of supplementation, a lot of really paying attention to what you're doing. And there are a few people who do it. But I think for the general population, 
Um, it ends up being equal eating junk food that is labeled as vegan and there's a lot of health issues. People uh, argue that, well, they lost weight, they felt better. My answer is, duh, because you stopped eating uh, <laughs> right. American standard right. American diet. You can eat anything for the first six months and you will feel better. But then a lot of people who quit veganism or vegetarianism is because a year or two down the road, they start feeling horrible, hair falling off, nails brittle, uh, mental issue, mental health issues, anxiety, depression, things like that. So this is, I never recommend it. Um, and people who ask me, I, I certainly urge them against it, against it. But if they decide to still want to do that, I try my best. First, I tell them I'm not the right person for them. But I still had a, a yeah. couple of vegetarian and uh, one vegan who wanted to still work with me. And, and I had to learn ways to do... Uh, make better choices. It was extremely hard because one, it's impossible to avoid carbohydrates, especially one of them, the vegan had diabetes. I'm trying to reverse that. So that was very hard, but we found ways, but then you have become very monotonous. You you find this. No, honestly, I'm sitting here thinking, what are they eating if they're, if they're diabetic and they're vegans? Because that's a carb diet. Yes. So there's tofu. A lot of tofu, which is bad for your thyroid. Long term, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, I mean, I mean, that's and then becomes that's the only option available. Or you pick beans that are lower, lupini uh, bean, for instance. Okay. Uh, some people use lupini flour. I had this guy who was just every day he was eating the same stuff. He was happy with it. He was losing weight. His diabetes reversed. I mean, to each his own. Uh, but some people are doing it for religious reasons or uh, you know cultural reasons where they don't eat some things and and I'm, that's hard to argue because unless they want to change uh, it's hard to do it uh, you know but generally I never recommend it I don't think uh, but if that's if they're gonna do a standard American diet versus that maybe better start there at least vegetarian you can eat dairy and eggs and you can work with it that's true uh, that's true yeah uh, so it's a dairy little bit less eggs. bad but there's still heavy that's dependence i mean i have physician colleagues who uh, you know they're indian they're, they're vegetarian uh, right. culturally uh, right. and they all have pre-diabetes and they're not obese but they do have insulin resistance they're young and they have early diabetes and and that makes me sad because that's what they eat beans yeah. and rice yeah yeah, and it's a tough argument because it's politically so weighted politically that, oh, uh, gosh, um, you know. You- yeah, I mean, people are, in, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know if you follow me on Twitter, but there's a lot of uh, oh. pushbacks, a yeah. lot of people attacking. Uh, yes. And it's, nobody's convincing anybody no. about anything Mm-mm. because, I mean, including myself, because that's not the way to approach. If you're arguing, no. you're basically firing squad on nobody's going to listen. So it's not a, 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 they're not asking questions. They're just passing judgment and uh, they're telling you that you're wrong and it's all all what they're interested in. So I don't even respond 90% of the time. All right. Well, hate doesn't motivate us to do anything, but divide us more. And that's, that's how this has turned. It's like just so many things of from 2020 to now, it's just how divided we are on so many issues. The thing about um, that, Dr. Saladino says, and I, I think, and Dave Asprey has both said, have both said about, um, they're both former vegans and they both say the honeymoon period. And it's exactly what you said. It's getting off, um, pop tarts and whatever else, you know, I guess they can call pop tart though, vegan, you know, 
want to look yeah. at it that way. I but used to live on pop tarts in college. That's right. Right. I mean, and ramen noodles. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's a wonder I'm alive. I mean, the junk I ate. Uh, but they said there's a honeymoon period, and then it takes a really mature vegan to say, you know what, this isn't working for me. Uh, like you said, the hair thinning, um, B12 levels are so low. They're so yeah. anemic. So do you ever see, I mean, can you then, do you think, and just your patients, can you then convince them then to say, you know what, uh, you know, a little pork lard would be good for you and a steak? <laughs> I haven't had that many. Uh, again, one vegan, a couple of vegetarian. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I have discouraged him from working with me because I tell him I'm going to continue yeah. to advocate uh, animal-based uh, nutrition. Okay. Uh, you got to tell me ahead of time that I just shouldn't approach it. And if you still want to work with me, I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. But I know I'm, I'm telling you it's not optimal nutrition. So, so that's kind of weeds out a lot of uh, people who still want to live that lifestyle. So. Yeah, that's a good way to put that, to put the ball in their court to say, this is the paradigm from which I, you know, project. So are you practicing nephrology now or are you more doing metabolic medicine? Just metabolic, yeah. So when I trained in nephrology, actually never ended up going into practice and just pure nephrology. Uh, One of the reasons is, uh, in hindsight, and it's funny because I didn't want to deal with chronic diseases. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't want to like when you deal with dialysis patient at that point. It's too late, and then that was yeah. the bulk of uh, work. Is really dialysis unit, dialysis unit, mm. and then just putting people on dialysis. And I see a lot of complications, so I ended up being a hospitalist, which is a, basically medical practice in the hospital setting. Yeah. I see a lot of kidney patients, um, but that kind of opened my eyes to basically almost everything is either directly chronic diseases or complications of chronic diseases. Uh, and then everybody was getting sicker and sicker. So, uh, and, and, you know, yeah. the other thing is we're getting sicker and sicker. I heard Dr. Hyman say in a podcast, um, a recent podcast, that also, because he was talking about the fallacy of calories in, calories out. But the other thing that we've incorporated is we've had over 20-year time, or I think the study started in 2000 to now, to 2022, that we really have had lower calories i hate even using the term because it's so misleading and more exercise you know we have more fitness facilities than we've ever had but we're the fattest we've ever been you know i always say there are fat people on the treadmill at your gym and they're working hard working hard sipping on a diet coke yeah you know and they're they're doing their best so how how are you approaching i mean uh, we know exercise is important we know weightlifting is important but how do you get people off that endless cardio train because i know it doesn't benefit a lot of people what's your philosophy on that um well i tell them if you enjoy your exercise you still want to run and do that that's fine Uh, that's your men remember just realize this is for your mental health and physical health but you're not losing weight because you've been that's how you ended up calling me because it hasn't worked for you uh i don't want you to stop exercising actually if anything i want to continue and maybe change things up a little bit but know that 80 percent of it is probably diet related then you get stress exercise sleep all the other stuff uh so and then they put it to the test and then they slowly it's hard to divorce yourself from old belief system oh yeah for Uh, sure even uh, weeks and months down the road they still feel well i need to exercise maybe maybe that would help so yes, it will help you feel better. Maybe you'll make better food choices. But exercise alone 
I mean, it does help with insulin resistance sensitivity. I described right. that because we deplete the muscle you know, with a, like a high intensity that momentarily for a couple of hours or whatever, how long it takes, uh, you are more likely to take that glucose into the muscle and then uh, right. make more insulin sensitive. So in that sense, I tell them, yes, it helps you, especially if you have diabetes. Uh, so, and sometimes they just learn the hard way. They keep trying and then it doesn't work. And then, uh, they work on their diet and it works and then they change over time. I also think too, and I don't know if women are more prone to this, but I do think that there's, um, a cortisol issue in so many women. And I think of both childbearing years and postmenopausal, we're just wired differently. And so it's that woman too. And I remember in the Institute for Intergrave Nutrition, New York, one of our instructors told us a story about a gal who was training for the New York City Marathon for nine months, and she ran 40 to 90 miles a week, 40 to 90 miles a week, and wow. handed in her food diary to her health coach, who was PhD in mm-hmm. biochemistry, I think. And in that time, in that nine months, I hope you're sitting down, she gained 26 pounds. See, her body was saying, stop. But we, like you said, we have messages that told us, get on the treadmill, get back out there. And she couldn't figure out what it was. And it was the instructor had a, a, she both an instructor and a health coach at that point, she was her health coach was saying, let's it, you know, maybe it's something less is more. Yeah. We got to rest. I I drive that. I mean, a lot of people, I have people who over exercise uh, and I tell them, I'm not telling you don't exercise, but you need to break. You need a day or two break a week. Just recover, heal, uh, sleep. But yeah, women, uh, women is our, the, the physiology of women is so more complicated. Men, they do one thing and just kind of it works. <laughs> and then and uh, you know, women, we uh, hate you all for that. Yeah, so. I know. Okay. I know. Just, no. just so that we're clear. <laughs> you know, I, I'm working with a client whose husband just copying her and he's down like 20 pounds in a month and she's like five pounds. <laughs> something like that Gosh. and then she's like hates him all right so that's because there's stress cortisol not sleeping uh, really doing more than men at home with uh, kids and yeah uh, there's a lot of yeah. more stress um and they tend to be more emotional eaters even yeah even if it's good food i mean right can tell you how many times i have to take nuts away from uh women because nuts yeah. i've come to realize it's not good for you in terms of Losing weight. Yeah. Uh, well, but that's more of a keto principle, right? Nuts are ke- in the keto. Well, I was talking like the emotional eating, like if they were eating carbohydrates oh, and they replaced I it, see. they usually they don't replace it with broccoli and steak. They replace yeah. it with nuts and cheese. And then it's easy to, nobody eats one almond. Usually just to grab a bunch. That's and, right. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and every time there's weight stall, they're not eating any carbohydrates. But then we take away the nuts and restricted cheese and increase other stuff and things start falling. But then that falls into, they have to work on the emotional part, like what's taking them to that, to yeah. those nuts, to deal with it uh, on their own, with a therapist, with me. I mean, I feel like a psychotherapist half the time. Because food is very emotional. Yeah. And... Our culture, I mean, come on, rewards us. It's your birthday. Yeah. Let's have cake. You yeah. finished a project. Let's have cake. <laughs> and so you're angry. Let's have you're, cake. Let, you're that's stressed, right. You're and then drink. You're, right. And yeah. then the combination of that. So, what is your position? What do you think is best for us with alcohol? 
well, I prefer zero, but I don't I understand it's not possible. I always tell people just whatever you do, don't drink beer and don't drink mixed drinks. Uh, so if you would do a glass of wine or liquor like tequila, vodka, things like that once in a while, I think that's okay. Maybe ranch water rather than anything mixed. Yeah. Uh, so people who still want to enjoy it once in a while, it's fine. But I have people who drink, let's say, scotch every day. That becomes an issue. They can't lose weight even when they're eating clean. Still a lot of energy coming in. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't tell people, I don't drink much. I don't care for alcohol. When I do, it's very rare. So it's hard for me to uh, see it from their perspective, but I try to work with them. But I have people who completely gone from daily drinking to nothing, and then they don't want to drink. I, so I have a woman who started drinking again just for social, had one glass of wine after used to drink a bottle, and she felt like terribly uh, at well, night, you, couldn't sleep. Yeah. Oh, for sure, interrupts your sleep. It, it's just yeah. it, it sabotage, saboteur is what it is. Um, I kind of think, and I'm just saying this again, study of one, since I've incorporated carnivore. So I tried keto a few years ago before I started fasting. My son was in college and he was telling me about keto. So I tried that, didn't really have results. And I don't think my hormones were right. I was not sleeping enough. I was getting up because I was on morning radio, so I was getting up super early. So I think all those things played into it. Well, now I can sleep better and all these things. And all to say that going carnivores made it so that I don't miss alcohol. I don't miss carbs. I don't know if there's a satiety factor with carnivore that I, that I was keto. I felt like I was missing corn chips. I don't feel that way now. Yeah. It's the protein, honestly. It is the protein. Uh, okay. The animal protein. I mean, I feel it myself. Every you know what client. I'm talking about then? Yeah, yeah I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. The days that I don't, that I under eat by accident, yeah. I'm looking for the wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and every client, like they're seeking carbs, you know, or, or bad fats when they're not eating enough protein. What's enough? They think they're eating enough. And that's the thing. It's just uh, we, I mean, they need so much more than when they're eating. And then carnivore puts you there. When you're just limiting your options to just meat, you keep eating until you're full. It's a whole different level of satiety. Like the, the, the level-headedness, the comfort, the, the feeling of ease, uh, the lack of cravings. Uh, that's uh, Keto didn't do that for me either. Just, okay. Uh, okay. Traditional keto. Carnivore, you are keto. It's really about eliminating the carbs. Right. Uh, you know, but it's just a lot more protein than before. Okay, because it's really much more drastic as far as a diet carnivore, but it's easier for me to maintain. I yes. don't have the cravings. I didn't understand why, yes. but it's the protein. So there's no willpower needed after that. No. So, um, and I, and the other thing that Dr. Fung kind of started me on, and I tell my clients, but it's so easy with carnivore, is no snacking. So, yeah. you know, we send kids to school now as you probably know, that they have, you know, often we feed them breakfast at school, then we feed them a snack, then we feed them lunch, then we feed them another snack, and then they yeah. come home, and then they're they're sipping on something all afternoon. So their insulin has been pumping they, It's out a roller coaster. I call it, it's a roller coaster. And no wonder they have, uh, we call them, they're just having behavioral issues. They're just, you know, they're victims of what we're doing to them or how we're feeding them. And you see kids, sometimes their parents are really do the work with them and they fix their diet and their kids become much calmer, much more normal behavior. They're still kids. They're going to have issues, but, uh, you know, it's much easier. Yep. 
snacking is so I have two rules for people. One, you gotta keep eating until you're full and focus on animal protein, even if they're not carnivore. And two, you cannot, you do not want to snack. So, uh, and that's important. That's the exact opposite advice from the last thirty years. We're yep. I, we were all told to keep our metabolism burning was to eat five times a day. So I obediently did, and I was hungrier then than I've ever been in my life. Of course, because your insulin is high. I, I, because you, those snacks weren't were carbs generally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or I mean, I would I, I would run for a handful of nuts, but. It, I just couldn't get satiety like I can now. Now, Dr. Fung did explain in one of his books. So, you know, of, he says we're hormonally driven to eat, right? And yeah, insulin, right. insulin being the chief hormone. And then he talks about, obviously, ghrelin, leptin. And then he does a deep dive and does cholecystokinin and YY peptide. And he says those don't fire. So if you start looking at it, if you can be objective, those hunger, those satiety hormones don't fire until you've had fat and protein. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why people will always say, well, I can't do so-and-so. You know, I'm having a hard time maintaining. Now my, I'm understanding my paradigm shift is, have you had fat and protein? No, because I had a salad, which now I wouldn't eat a salad if you had a gun to my head. Not yeah, interested. Right. <laughs> Makes me mad. Uh, it does make me mad. Not, I just get tired from chewing. I get bloated from all these fiber in my stomach. And, and the anti-nutrients cool. that are in whatever you're eating. Yeah. So, it, But, I mean, they, there's room for them. I mean, now people don't have affected. Some, some are affected more than others. Uh, yeah. But I always tell people, if you're going to snack, make it a protein. Always have a protein, no matter what, whether it's a snack or a real meal. And that's why I mean, you eat less because you get full and you activate all these hormone cascades in, in the right places. Well, that means then we've also changed what we used to tell our kids was just grab a, an apple and have some grape juice in the afternoon and you'll be fine. No, that's the last thing you need. The worst thing we can do. But we used juice to do that. We used to think an apple, just eat an apple, you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, when apple is half the problem, at least it is kind of filling temporarily, but just that apple juice or whatever right. juice, it's just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we know that insulin, though we need it, it's a double-edged sword, <laughs> insulin. We yeah, need it, I mean, but it's killing us. Anything in excess, it's supposed to be on off for brief moments. Oh, But okay. it's on, 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 on. We keep dialing the volume throughout the day. Uh, and then that's why people are not very hungry in the morning a lot of times because their insulin is at its lowest. And the minute they start eating carbohydrates, it starts okay. spiking and then overshooting and the, the sugar cor- overcorrects. Uh, and then you go through this uh, roller coaster of hunger, cravings, you know, yeah, uh, things like that. So in the morning with the dawn effect or the dawn phenomenon, when that we have that glucose spike. So when our glucose comes up, and yours and I, ours probably doesn't that much, but traditionally people, because I did the CGM yeah. and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was like 105, I mean, maybe once, I can't even remember. Right, but right. when our glucose comes up, does is insulin triggered then to help bring it down in the morning? Does insulin come out at that point? I, I don't know the, for, for sure, but I know it's driven cortisol, which is drive uh, glucose, but that would make sense that it would come up. 
Uh, but I don't know honestly what happens uh, at that time, but I know the hunger is the lowest. But people that have the more pronounced uh, dawn phenomenon, they tend to be hungry more because they're still metabolically uh, in, in, a, in an unstable uh, way. Okay. So yeah. I'm asking selfishly for a client of mine who just said, well, I'm still having a little hunger in the morning and my glucose is up. And it made me think, I wonder if her glucose is signaling her pancreas is signaling that her insulin needs to bring it down. Cause she said after she said, I just drank black coffee and I drank water and I got over it. And I said, I yeah. think it was probably okay. the cy cyclical nature of your glucose coming up and then coming down, but I'm not a metabolic scientist. Yeah. I mean, if you resist it and eventually cortisol yes. is going to drop, uh, then the glucose is going to follow. But uh, a lot of people who have that problem, I tell them early on, just eat. But eat protein, okay. actually, the glucose drop right after. But then eventually they get used to it and they slowly go back to two meals a day. So okay. it's hard to go intermittent fasting when you're still so carb, sugar yeah. driven. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of, my story is that my son's the one who told me then, the guy who was doing keto told me about intermittent fasting. And, you know, they're really, I mean, it was in the infancy of Jen Stevens and she had a podcast, but maybe she had a little a book she had written but and dr fung was just coming out of the woodwork 2017 but in that my son just said because i'm such an easy sell he said we'll just start tonight this was at 6 30 at night i said so what do i yeah. do and he goes well don't eat again till tomorrow at 12 30. so i just did rip the band-aid off and yeah. did 18 and 6. Yeah. and you know what i did not die i mean look at me no, right. I'm dies from lack of i eating. did not die but people have this fear that they may have hunger and they're like, yeah, I, I can't do it. And then once they do it, they go, it really wasn't that bad because the hunger it wasn't that bad. The hunger went it's, away. It's mental. Yeah, yeah, totally mental. It is mental. The first few fast are mental. Okay, tell right. me then what you do. So you are offering metabolic services that nobody's doing. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there are coaches and there are doctors and I've feel like I'm a marriage of both. You really uh, are. Be, and uh, it's kind of happened just how I, it evolved be, and I moved away from conventional medicine. So right now I, I work from my home as, and then I deal with clients or patients and then depends what they, usually I focus on metabolic health, obesity, diabetes, and it comes with a package of fatty liver and high yeah. blood pressure and things like that. So coaching like any other coach, so most of it is really intensive coaching but I have the luxury also in states that I'm licensed in to also affect, uh, you know, adjust the medications myself with them, with their permission. And uh, really have people come off seven drugs. Or, you awesome. know, there's, there's so, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Awesome. I love it. Well, here's one question that I keep getting posed by my clients, because obviously I don't give medical advice um, and they have a healthcare provider. My healthcare provider is putting me on Ozempic or semi-glutide. What is your opinion on those that are really type two diabetes drugs? Will so my question is: Does it permanently affect their body's ability to have to not be left to be leptin sensitive? Well, the work on uh, making you feel more satiety um, while you take the medicine, so though. While they take the medicine, I'm not a fan of drugs as the approach. But some people, if they need that push to get there, but they still have to change their behavior. So whether they do whether it's a, a pill, a shot, or a gastric bypass, if you're not changing what you're eating and how you're eating and your mindset about it, you're gonna gain it all back. So, so it's uh, it uh, can be a band aid. Yeah, it's always a band aid. Yeah, they have to change. 
but so that's what so it we don't know if it then affects their leptin yy peptide cholecystokine you know I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure. It, it, yeah, I don't know. I, it can't be long term because it's so. by nature a short term drug will last seven days. Usually. Oh, wow. Yeah, th- yeah. this is a big uh, go to for a lot of healthcare yeah. providers. And I do think yeah. I do have the empathy that the patients going in there going, well, I've tried everything. And some are even saying I've been intermittent fasting and I'm not getting results. This helped me get results. Yeah. I mean, people who are already on it, I don't stop it right away. I, I'll piggyback and use to get the benefit. Eventually, I'll stop it because there's not a lot of risk involved. It's a good drug. Uh, I don't, but I always tell them I don't want to start it for for that reason. So, well, would you then tell people to take berberine, which is the over-the-counter you know, um, glucose mitigator? Same concept. Yeah. You know, if it needs a little push, uh, I'm not big on supplements, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, except magnesium, salt, and some vitamin D. I love magnesium. Uh, Yeah, magnesium because people really cramp up and I need to supplement. But I really think if they're eating a full diet, they're getting most of it. Now, a lot of people disagree with me and there are use for some supplements, but I don't trust most of it out, what's out there, so. I'm voting for you for president or whatever. If you run for dog catcher, I'm voting for you. Great job. Right. You're a great interview. I love your social media. We will thank, link thank that so uh, in the show notes. We'll link all your social media because you're not afraid of the big bad wolf. And I love that. So good job. Today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Lisa. Oh, thank you for being here. Good job. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.